You're listening to MHD Off The Record. On this episode, we speak with chef and entrepreneur Keith Corbin about his journey growing up in Watts, navigating gang and drug culture to becoming a celebrated executive chef and co-owner of Alta Adams in South LA. His modern soul food restaurant was named one of the best new restaurants in the country by both Esquire and Thrillist, and since opening has consistently been on the LA Times best restaurant list. A native of Watts, Corbin was formerly director of operations for Roy Choi and Daniel Patterson's local restaurant group and also worked for Patterson at his Michelin-starred fine dining restaurant, Koi, in San Francisco. He recently released his autobiography, California Soul, an American Epic of Cooking and Survival, which is available online and in stores now. Enjoy the show. There's no small talk uh, with today's <laughs> guest, uh, Keith Corbin. Uh, of Alta Restaurant. Every time I stop by the restaurant, you know, the sit down turns into 10 or 15 minutes. <laughs> People start looking at him funny, wondering where their food is. <laughs> and the waiters start asking questions. Um, and, you know, this conversation, as we were just prepping to get on the air, I was very intrigued by about, you know, what happens in that stage between, you know, we know the system that we have now uh, wastes a lot of talent. Yes. When our people are young, waste an incredible amount of talent. I mean, it's almost criminal how much talent gets wasted. Yes. That talent gets institutionalized, beginning with the foster care system mm -hmm. as early as, you know, right out the womb, all the way up through the juvenile delinquency system, through the mass incarceration system. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you have some experience. You went through some of those systems. You around a lot of people who've been through one, two, or all three or of all those three. three of those systems. Uh, and that's what happens with our people. And the question always is, as a community, both, how do we stop those systems? Like, how do we hold them back so that they don't treat our people so badly? But two, what do we do when somebody is able to get out of those systems, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how do we reintegrate folks and, and what works for them? And how do we both have, and, and I'm putting a very tough question to you, so this is indeed... This in, question is for all of us. Yeah, yeah right. right. But it, <laughs> Please but chime in. How do we maintain community standards? You know, so like, this is the way you behave in, the, you know, there is some dysfunctional behavior sometimes mm -hmm. amongst our folks. How do we maintain community standards, not give in to those systems, and bring people back and nurture them and, and create a circumstance where they can deliver what you've delivered to all of us, which is a great restaurant where lots of other people learn uh, the craft and go on and do their own thing. It's also a place that we can all go. It's a place where we can have celebrations. Mm -hmm. It's a place where we can create memories. So that it's that process where when people come home, we oftentimes lose them. Uh, so I'm just wondering what things have you seen that work uh, and and sort of how do you think about that challenge? Um, those are a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even keep up with them, but I think that just starting by being forgiven. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's it just always trips me out that one, let's just take me for instance. I always like to speak from, if it's me, um, I know the system. Like, I lived it. I grew up in Jordan Downs Projects. I, I, I have a strong belief and understanding that the system is designed to hold a community back, hold the people down, keep them down, right? And and there's traps and snares set in place. Um, I'm a big believer that the prison system is for financial gain. It's not about rehabilitation. There's no way you're gonna convince me that you have an opportunity to put money into the communities prior to prison, right? to prevent prison. 
Right. Instead of doing that, you're going to convince me that you're putting money in prison for rehabilitation? No. But I've went through prison, so I know it's not true. You know, I know the contracts that they have because I work some of these jobs making license plates and um, glasses and bikes wow. and wow. Uh, packaging for Victoria's Secrets and making nine cent an hour and still getting taxed on that. Right. So I, I, I they tax you on the... they tax you. Yes. Wow. So not only do not only are you a dependent where when these companies file taxes, they get a return, but they also tax the money that you make in there. And the highest paid is 19 cent an hour. So right, we're both stunned. <laughs> right. Like, right. Stunned. But even knowing that there are snares and traps set in place to trip our, our youth up to fall into these systems, when, when they come home, how then we forget about those traps and snares and not be forgiving? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like we know you were set up. Mm-hmm. But then, then we criminalize you, and we put the scarlet letter on your back. Then we don't want to have nothing to do with you, you know. And, and we have to stop that, you know. Like we got to remember these these are our babies. I was someone baby, yeah. And these are our babies, and we just have to embrace them when they come home. I was just saying um, to Siobhan that I remember growing up, and the church doors were open, yeah. And you walk past now, all the church doors are closed, yeah. So, Especially after COVID. <laughs> Especially after COVID. <laughs> but even, I don't think COVID really, Yeah. you know, it's it's just a separation from community. Yeah. Um, we have to get out there and be representation and become tangible to our community, right? And our successes or in our careers. It's like, how do they imagine? They tell you to just dream it. Like, but if I don't know it exists... How can I dream it? How right, can I dream right. of being an engineer or a doctor when I don't have no representation of that around me? Right, you know? right, right, right. And that was one of my hard parts coming home from prison. When I got the first job at Loco, I didn't treasure that opportunity. There was no way I was able to see um, what I would be able to gain from taking that job. There's no way. There was no representation. There was no one at the mountaintop or at the end of the road where I could say, man, he started where I started from. That's where I want to get. And, like, I can obtain that because he did it, you know? Um, There's no way I would have thought that it would lead to me writing my own memoir, sharing a story, you know, really being able to talk to people through my book. There's no way that I thought I would be able to purchase a home. Um, have an executive producing job on a TV show, story of my life, or have a restaurant where I can employ people. Like, there's there's no way taking that 15-hour dollar a job I would have thought would have led to this because there's no representation about that around that, you know? So, and like, that's why I just stay tangible. You know, I, um, I go down to the projects. Yeah. You know, I, that's why I admire Nipsey. You know, he he stayed right. It ain't about staying right there in the hood, but he stayed connected. Right. You know, the success, people was able to see it, touch it, feel it, smell it, you know, share it with them. You know, I, I always respected that. And be involved in making change at and the same time. And be involved time. with making change and giving opportunity. And I think that's the biggest thing is providing opportunity to these people or our people 
and and for me it's not black brown or otherwise because my people is people that has went through things that I've went through you know I talk to them I do it for them right because we share something in common so you know um, provide opportunity when you're able and not only just providing opportunity but supporting them in that opportunity like I hire formerly incarcerated I hire ex-cons I hire ex-drug addicts I hire people that never had a job before I hire people that doesn't have experience right I open that door because if having experience is the prerequisite to getting a job we're leaving a lot of people out right you know so I take that chance and I try to develop them but in hiring our folks it takes a patience you know it, it takes some commitment um, it takes some understanding. Um, you have to remember, I have to, I have to remember where I was at, where I wanted to quit, where, you know, when the hood was throwing a party and I got work and, and, <laughs> I'm, and I'm calling in sick, lying, yeah. so I can go hang out when hood day was around or any of these things are, you know, I did coke for a lot of years when I was irresponsible and getting high to three in the morning and got to be at work at eight. And I got a choice of getting sleep or getting high through the rest of the day to, to continue going through work. You know what I mean? So you got to remember where you were at and, and be have some empathy with folks. That's definitely the key word. Um, and you actually hit a really strong point when you were talking about, you know, investing in the children. Yeah. With all the information that we have now, the government has it. We even had a California Surgeon General who covered childhood trauma and its impact on health and life outcomes. And you really hit the nail on the head when you pointed out we have to invest in our youth. What happens is we we criminalize, especially black boys. And, then, and Latino. And Latino boys, you're absolutely correct. So we, we criminalize our black and brown boys. And then we wonder why they have certain behaviors. And instead of addressing their needs, we throw them away. And that's what our systems do, which is why I appreciate what you're doing, creating opportunities, and yeah. people like Nipsey who created opportunities, because they were taking the same people we have been conditioned to throw away. Yeah, but those are my folks. You know, so you're just coming back helping your brothers. Yes. You know, like, I, I am them, they are me. You know, I didn't have a father, and many of them didn't. And so we were on this um, stand-by-me journey, you know, where we were developing and discovering. That's, that's a movie from the 80s. Show. <laughs> 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 to where we were, I know that one. <laughs> where, where we were embarking on this life journey together, you know, mothers on drugs, fathers absent or in prison or even dead. And so I had my core people that I walked to school with and that, you know, we had our scuffles with people on the way home and, you know, while we're on this journey, we're trying on pieces of each other, you know, trying to figure out who we are. And so today, that's why I still say I am them because there's pieces of them that I've tried on that got me through things. And like, so whenever, you know, I'm in a position, I go back and I help, you know, there will never be a separation. I always say, no matter where the tree grows, my roots are in Watts and that's where my nutrients come from. No matter what, you'll never uproot me. Root shock. That's another topic. So you got a book, uh, California Soul, an American Epic of Cooking and Survival by yes. Keith Corbin. It's one of the best-selling books out of L.A. at yeah. this uh, moment. And it sounds like you're working on television or movie or something yes. like that. Uh, I read it all the way to the very last 
period in the last chapter. <laughs> it took some encouraging. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, so I'm. It, it's an amazing. It's truly an amazing story. It's really well written. It's well done. But it starts off like you alluded to earlier in Watts, in sort of Watts being the the mothership. You grow up in the context of the gang truce. So the gang truce is sort of just happening as you're coming up. Yeah. Uh, talk to us about like get, walk us through the days and 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 the good times and the bonds uh, that happen in the in the Jordan Downs community. Man, it was a, so away from the drug dealing and the, the 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 negative part that you always that people not true, but that's always talked about. Like there was like it was community, you know, it was camaraderie, it was family. Um, I grew up at a time where no doors was locked. You know, like you have 711 units and you were able to go to any one of them. You know, we knew each other. Wow. You know, um, your granny was my granny. You know, your mama whooped your butt. Your mama, my mama whooped your, you know. It was hopscotch and cheerleading and double dutch, you know. Like I even double dutched. You double dutch? I'll jump rope, you know. I feel like there's not, <laughs> this is another thing. I feel like there's not a good double dutch contest. You know? I'm just saying. I mean. I, we could do one on Adams, but go ahead. Let's figure it out. <laughs> I mean, I see right now the kid's not even in the streets no more. Yeah. You know, so, but like we grew up, I grew up with 711 units, four, like two or three kids to a house. Like we had thousands of kids. Yeah. You know, just running around and we all knew each other. And we played sideline kill, we played trash can basketball. We played flag street, flag football in the streets with socks on our side. You know what I mean? We walked uh, 40, 50 deep to Will Rogers Park swimming pool. Not Ted Watkins, Will Rogers Park. <laughs> <laughs> That's my era. But yeah. Ted's in, Tim's a great, great friend. Well, Tim is a great friend. I didn't, didn't get to really deal with Ted, but Tim, mm -hmm. you know, but I grew up with Rogers Park. You know, and you had the, the Hacienda's coming up there. You had the Nickersons, some would come, but mostly 109th. But in 92, when the truce came, like the community came together and I credit the truce for me still being alive. Wow. You know, um, it was the lowest murder rate in Watts during those 10 years. Like my generation was able to grow. You know, at a time right before the generation before me, we were losing a lot of people. Mm -hmm. You know, but my generation, we were able to actually prosper, like grow and get older. Yeah, we got caught up with prison, but the streets wasn't yeah, as bloody. Survive. Yeah, you couldn't survive. You know, that. and I remember having a chance to live in the Nickersons, you know, and run uh, with those dudes. I you, to, you wasn't, you, that wasn't in the book. Yeah, I stayed at Mama Dot <laughs> House on, on Zamora, what they call the Charlotte. Uh huh. You know, yeah. like, I, like even when Loco came around after the truce broke. I was able to establish local as a safe haven in the middle of this war through my connections that I made um, with dudes from the Nickersons in my generation. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. I was I see, able to tap in, in over yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. Tap in to the dudes that was the OGs now in my generation and establish at least that corner. Yeah. Um, as a flyby, like, you know, you know, nice. and, and we've, we, it, it we suffered a loss right on the 103rd and Grape at the bus stop, which is yeah, two buildings down from Loco. You know, as the young man was walking past, they literally waited for him to get past Loco. Wow. And caught him in front of um, the church, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but we, we really had 
friendship, kinship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I still deal with a lot of those dudes today. Wow. Um, so people should definitely buy the book. Uh, you, there's an audio book. He reads it himself. So yes. it's, you know, firsthand account. And the book is really well written and well edited. So I encourage people to get the book. I'm skipping through a lot of the story. You spend some time in California institutions. Ten uh, years. Ten years uh, in California institutions of a variety of them. Uh, and then you come out and you somehow land with the, the crew that did Loco, Roy Choi, and the gang. What's interesting about that is... Roy Choi and his generation kind of come out of 92 as well. Yes. Except they come out on the children of Korean <laughs> merchant side of it, um, of the of the of that situation yes. uh, in 1992. So uh, talk to us about how you connect with them and, and what meeting them was like and working there and, and um, your, the role you played at local, uh, which was a fabulous restaurant. I was at the uh, grand opening, yeah. by the way, but you didn't put me in the book. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just the back. I was like, I was right behind Tyrese. Just to back it up. When I came home from prison, um, the only information that, that we had was labor jobs. You know, you come home from prison because that was the only representation examples. And I always go back to representation and the examples we have, right, mm-hmm. that that help us make decisions. So coming on from prison, I was already brainwashed to think that nothing else was for me. If I wanted to get a job, it would have to be a labor job. But prior to going to prison, I was used to having money. So I sought out the highest paying labor job, went to the oil refinery, worked my butt off, and was offered a promotion. That promotion required them to run my license, which then my background came up. They had just started doing background checks. And they fired me. Walked me to the gate right there on the spot. Wow. And so I really just, for like a couple of weeks, was just like, and maybe just streets and hustling is it. Like, they even doing background checks on labor jobs. <laughs> like, right, right, like, right, I'm screwed. Right, yeah, right, right. And you, you raise know? a point in the book that they waited until you were making more money. when you Because you had you said if you had just stayed in the position you were, there wouldn't have been a background check. Because when I got hired, they weren't doing They weren't them. doing them. Right. Yeah, but, I mean, that's one of the bad things about the legislator that people think are small things. They start requiring background checks for more and more things. And a lot of times I do is what it does is it closes more and more doors. I mean, right now... I think it's all intentional. Of course it is. You know, right now, for instance, everybody knows that big, giant LAUSD bus yard off the 110 yeah. and near where the 405 is. Acres and acres and acres. Nothing but buses. You can't get a job washing those buses. If you have a background. If you have a background. Mm-hmm. There's no kids around. There's no people around. There's no money to steal. Yeah. I mean, there's literally nothing to do except buses. If you come home and get a job... The, uh, this just me again. Like, it could just be personal, mm-hmm. right? Um, you come home from prison and get a job. First off, let me say this. I believe crimes is associated with poverty. Prison does not stop crimes. Oh, absolutely. Right? Poverty. To, to once, you are, once you remove poverty, then crime stop. I have not committed a crime in five, seven years, you know, since I came home. 2014, so eight years, whatever it is because I haven't dealt with poverty. So if you remove poverty, then the crime stop, right? And people coming home from prison, to have a proper opportunity to succeed limits the recidivism. You gotta go back to prisons as a corporation to make money. People are privately invested in this for a return. 
So if you're giving folks a job that's coming home, you know, right. that's just how I, that's what I feel about it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's how I see it operating. Again, I spent 10 years in there and I didn't just lay on the bunk, you know, like I know the ins and outs of it because that's how I had to survive to maneuver through that thing. Um, prison is set as our underground economy, our economy, our communities, just in a smaller setting. The same thing that goes on on the streets is the same thing that's going on in prison because even in prison, it's an impoverished um, setting. Right, well, they make you resource scarce. So you're at the oil refinery. I'm at the oil refinery. Yes, <laughs> stay with me. <laughs> I, I, so I'm at the oil refinery, I get terminated. So I'm like, I'm just going back to the streets. So, but I get a phone call from my mother um, and said, boy, you better get over here. They're hiring at this restaurant they just built. And prior to going to prison, I had a t-shirt shop in that building. It was, oh. I didn't own the building, but that was the last business I had prior, before going to prison. So now they turn it into a restaurant. So I pull up over there and I get a job. You know, they hired me on the spot, um, $15 an hour. I'm like, whatever. I was just on the web making 10000 a month. I really didn't want this job, <laughs> you know? And then the next day they called and offered me the kitchen management position. How'd that happen? That was just one day. Because they were trying to fill roles. Oh, they were just taking who they had. and okay. Yeah, and okay. fill roles. And um, some of the community people that was involved with bringing Loco um, had expressed my leadership in the community. Oh, nice. Okay, so you had you know, some. So we're hiring people that's from a community that already follow my lead. Yeah. And, and listen. Um, or not listen, but trust me. Yeah. So... They put me, they asked me that I wanted a kitchen management role. I'm like, sure, 60, 65,000. I'm like, okay, we getting somewhere. Yeah. And yeah. I still no money. Well, I don't say no money, I ain't gonna sneeze at it, but. Um, but it's not 10,000 a month. Yeah, it's not 10,000 a month, but we getting somewhere. Um, but when I met Roy and Daniel, the funny thing is, they came through the restaurant while we were cleaning. Cause at the time, while we were waiting for the restaurant to open, Profit had took me on because he the one had the contract to build Loco. Profit Walker, a treehouse, the yes. local developer, so, also from Watts. Yeah, so he took me on. So I'm cleaning and we're setting up the restaurant. And Roy and Daniel comes in. And, you know, they go through and they checking things out. And mind you, I'm from Watts. I'm from the projects. <laughs> you know, we call that Gilligan Island. We don't know what's going on in the rest of LA, the rest of the world. That's our island. Yeah. So I don't know nothing about foodies. I don't know nothing about chefs. <laughs> don't none of that mean nothing to me. You know what I'm saying? But they hang, they hung out till it was late, and so it was about nine, ten o'clock at night, and we're leaving. We're all leaving out, and I tell Roy and Daniel, I didn't even shake their hand, introduce myself, because I, I, for me at that time, like we don't do that. You know, like we'll be around each other, the energy will click, and you know we'll just start vibing. Right, I'm not gonna walk up and introduce myself. I do now, but at that time, my, my state of mind, like, I'm not gonna walk up and introduce myself. But what I did do was told them I'm walking out to your car. And they like, you sure you need to walk us to our car? I said, if I wasn't working here and the perception of a white guy and an Asian guy, 11 o'clock at night on the 103rd Nanzac, that got money, I had you face down on the ground, taking your wallet and everything in your pocket, 
to feed my family. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you signed my check, I'm going to protect my interests. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how we connected. And um, when the restaurant opened, it was difficult. I didn't have no kitchen experience outside of working in the kitchen in prison. Yeah, I love cooking. Um, I cook drugs for, for a career in the kitchen. So I was familiar with the kitchen in many ways. But in the restaurant, I had no idea what was going on. And so I worked closely with Daniel. And um, I just couldn't accept, I couldn't take the responsibility or the accountability of being a kitchen manager, being that when things went wrong, it's all on me. And I'm like, no, nah, bro, it's your business. It's all on you. So, you know, it's like, I, I didn't know what that role or that trust or responsibility entailed. You know, it's like, no, this all on you. Cause I know when I'm outside of here, this my hood. So yeah. what they do falls back on my leadership. Just mm-hmm. I'm one of the ones in control over here. This is your business. It's on you. So we used to bump heads a lot and it became really uncomfortable, right? I was uncomfortable with this guy talking to me the way he was in front of people that I grew up with, that was following my lead. That was, It just was, so I tried to quit, but they wouldn't let me. Daniel just kept encouraging me to stick through it. You know, I guess it was something from his own life he knew, you know, so he just kept encouraging. But one of the great things that Daniel and Roy and them did was they really did their best effort to research the community and talk to um, some older heads over there. And so when they came in, they brought a counselor. Wow. So the employees, we had access to um, counseling for our traumas, you know? I mean, we had people working in Loco who was just shooting at each other on the streets. We had people working in Loco, two young ladies who was at war in the projects with each other because one was, one baby daddy was responsible, allegedly responsible for the killing of the other baby daddy, mm-hmm. right? So they beef him. Then you had two that was in there that was working who one brother was allegedly responsible for the killing of the other brother. So we were doing a lot of healing <laughs> in Loco, <laughs> and you want me to manage all this? But, but we had fun and we did it, but, um, I looked at Daniel and Roy as like these privileged, whatever. When we were in counseling, I heard Daniel share his story. And when he shared his story, it felt like I was sharing my story. Wow. You know, what he, his family dynamic, his trust issues, his trauma, um, his emotionally stunt, um, all these things. And that's when I really stopped judging people like a book by, by by his cover, you know? And I connected with him because we shared some things. And from there, we just been like side by side rocking. I think one of the consistent themes in your book is your leadership. There's a lot of consistent themes mm-hmm. because you are very detailed about your growth and your understanding of that growth. But your leadership qualities, you start that in the beginning of the book where a teacher saw your leadership skills when you mm-hmm. were clowning around in class. She was like, oh, you think you know so much. Yeah. <laughs> you can be a leader here. You ended up being a leader even when you it's were... It's kind of one of those boys in the hood moments. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. When you get up there, this is Africa. Yeah. yeah, like, you know, yeah. It, it was one of those moments. Yeah. Exactly. Know? And then um, even when you're incarcerated, you become a leader in that space as well. 
um, when you come out, they, you have people who are saying, hey, we identify you as a leader. Yeah. And there's a part in your book when you're giving the details of what happened because unhealed trauma, you were, you know, back, you were, you had an addiction to cocaine yeah. um, and you messed up and missed an event. You found, they ended up letting you go. <laughs> and then when they let you, then they let you go and you were she hot. She's telling the whole, I'm trying to get yeah. on the podcast. She's telling the. Well, I, I want to get to this point, particular point that really amazed me. And this speaks to your leadership. Close it down. Yes. And the thing that got you to release that, you know, because you had shut down the store, the, the restaurant. Um, I felt like the mob at that time. <laughs> you thought you was I a boss. The doors, <laughs> shut the restaurant down. The trucks pulled up to make deliveries. You I was told totally turn this back around, take it back to the warehouse. Wow. I, I, and it wasn't. Yeah, I was like, yeah, and I was high as hell at the time. Right, and you said this. You, this is all in your book, which is why I love your book. It's so honest. Yeah. But then I believe his name was Akila. Yes. He had someone that you were uh, cool with that was still in prison. Yes. That called you. Yes. Akila, the first guest on the podcast, by the way. But go ahead. <laughs> that was before my time. <laughs> but um, it's good to know. <laughs> but um. He so he contacts someone that's incarcerated that you're close with. Yes. And the thing that he he was you wasn't playing no games with him either. You no. said you was like, look, I don't care what Akila. I talking knew what about. it was. And because the thing was, without going into it, Akila and I have this going back and forth since I was 16. Wow. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Since I was 16 years old, all the way back to the truce. And one of the things is like I like to hold people accountable and. There was a lot of funds going on at that time. So Akila always went to this gentleman. Oh, so you knew it was up as soon as you got the call. So because I know what was going on. I know Akila's association with the business and all that stuff. So I knew what the call was, right? So when I answered, I knew what it was. I just wanted to get him to admit it. But when he did, the thing that clicked for you, though, Back to that leadership. Yes. Is you realize that you are responsible for people. Yes. And when he tapped into that, because yes. that's a true leader. Yeah. A leader isn't just the boss who gets to shut down something. Yes. The leader is now responsible for the people that are under him. Yes. And when he tapped into that, that's when it clicked. Yes. Wait a minute. I'm messing up the money of the people I care about. I'm doing exactly, I'm doing to them what, exactly what has me upset right now. Mm-hmm. You know, the very thing that has me emotionally upset and angry the wrong that I thought was done to me I'm now doing to someone else that I'm supposed to love and who's supposed to be trusting me I'm supposed to be leading them this that and the other so yeah it clicked it reminded me you know something something you don't cover in the book or maybe you cover how you know about it well, I'm. I asked the questions. So, but I, I kept looking for it in the book, and I never saw it. And and maybe you talked about it, but just not in the way that I'm thinking about it. What's the moment when you go? Wait a minute! I can do this. I can have my own restaurant. Like you know, kind of like um, total tangent, but. It was real famous on the internet years ago. Kanye West got into an argument with Sway mm-hmm. when Kanye West was trying to contract with all these big designers. Mm-hmm. And Sway was like, "Well, why don't you just do it yourself? Why, like, why are you going to give them all of your yeah. shine?" And you know, Kanye gets really mad and says, "You don't got the answer, Sway," and it turns into a big fight. And you know, just a week ago, Kanye's like, 
Sway had the answers. Yeah. <laughs> now these people with all the colors he was gun. trying to yeah. get with. Because now yeah. he's going to fight with all those people. <laughs> and and not that your relationship ever became contentious with the folks running the organization, but it feels like there was a point where you were like, wait a minute, like this is totally inside the realm of something I can do. I mean, I've always been an entrepreneur. That's uh, been my spirit. Okay. Um, I mean, which is, I mean, like many of us, the underground economy breeds entrepreneurs. Yes. So that's always been my nature. I've never had a job before. So the oil refinery, that stint was the first step to a job. Yeah. And then local was like my first real job. Um, and that's why I was so uncomfortable. Mm, I um, see, I see. It, like I have this director's thing about me, right? <clears throat> Where being in control. And so it was kind of hard. So um, I, when I got the opportunity to go to Oakland with Loco, they advanced me, they moved me up to be director of operation. So I'm learning more. But that was the first place where I was able to witness Whole Foods, a farmer's uh, market. I didn't know what the a farmer's market was. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, you, were doing, you were in all that food and you had never been to the like Santa Monica or Hollywood? No, I mean, uh, local, we were getting things brought in and we were processing it, right? I see, I see. So that's the first place where we were actually taking food from raw product. You guys had a little garden back there, right? Yes. Yeah. But garden. my grandma, you know, in our community, we have limited resources and access. Mm -hmm. So we usually doctor up a lot of things, right? Yeah. Uh, my grandmother early on, and I'll get back to it, but my grandmother early on used to cut and wash her collard greens. But as she got older and wasn't as mobile, those collard greens turned into canned collard greens and like oh. fixing them up. You know, these type of things, right? So when I was in the Bay Area, I got exposed to farmer's market and I got exposed to um, Whole Foods, things like that. And when I went to Whole Foods, I really thought those big old buckets was like samples. So right. I was going to hand in there and walk through the store just eating turtles and stuff. But, <laughs> but um, I started to imagine, you know, I, I witnessed my grandmother get up four or five in the morning and tirelessly work over the stove all day, like pouring love into this food, this unhealthy food, mm -hmm. right? Pouring love into it. And then I walk into the store and I walk through this farmer's market and I'm like, wow, they actually have food that come pre-loved? <laughs> <laughs> like, they have, it's food exists that comes pre-loved? I'm 37 years old, I didn't know this. Wow. Like, you know, I'm used to Burger King, McDonald's and all this bull. And so I started to imagine like what my granny could have created if she had access to this. And then I started to think about the stereotype, then it became a stereotype to me because at first I bought into our food being unhealthy for us and the contributor, no more contributor to our health problems as black men and women. Then I started thinking about, damn, it's not the food, it's the lack of resources. It's what my granny had to start with that was unhealthy. So I started to dream up this idea of our food with pre-loved ingredients, raw ingredients, fresh ingredients. And um, that's when I went to my employer and like, hey, look, check this out, I got this idea. You willing to par partner with me? By the time I'm 40, I was 37. And he was like, write it through your business plan. Right then, I gave up. 
Like, like, wow, bro. Like, you had to do that to me? But about two and a half, three months later, he walked in the kitchen because I was opening restaurants with him. So I was learning. I was trying to fast track, though, because of that entrepreneur. Yeah, that About energy. me, I'm yeah. always looking for the, you know, that the move. And so he came in and was like, remember that idea you had? I have an opportunity to open a restaurant in L.A. And they want me to do this new American. But I think it would be great for your idea, your concept, given the community. Let's fly down and take a look. And we flew down and we put up on Adams. I'm like, shit, man, this is just like my hood. If you fold the map, we overlap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, like this is like for sure. Let's do it, you know. And then we we partnered up, you know. But that partnership didn't go the way I intended it or expected it to. In the um, starting out. And and so he's talking about Alta. Alta is uh, absolutely the hottest restaurant in Southern <laughs> California right now. If you haven't been, you need to get there. Yeah. It's on the top uh, of every list. Yes. <laughs> I get tired of seeing it on lists because I'm like, just it's gonna be harder to park. <laughs> when I go over there, the more people read about it. But it's a great uh, a great experience. Talk to us some about that vision and then your struggle towards realizing it as the vision that you you set out for it to be. Um, so I envisioned one. So I didn't want to do just soul food. Like I didn't want to just do. You didn't want to do Doolin's or. Well, Harold definitely. I love Greg. Yeah, love him. Right, but grew up the, eating his food. Yeah, but that's but, but I, it's but, been done. But I can honestly say that Doolin's and Bertha's and Jordans. Well, not Jordans. Um, Bertha's went on a business. Yeah, but Bertha's was. The, but these places were the inspiration the, for me because you were only able to get our food in a styrofoam plate. Yeah. Like, it, like so that was one of the things that pushed me towards this casual fine dine. I, did, I didn't want to do styrofoam plate. I wanted to give respect to our food and give us somewhere to go and also show people how we eat. You know, I love when Alta is like a picnic. You know, or, or like that baby shower, yeah. or like that party, you know, where everybody's electric slide and dancing, and you have these other cultures in there. Because, I mean, I went to many restaurants where it's hush the baby, you know, and I, I, that ain't how we eat. Yeah. So I wanted to create an energy and a vibe that represented us. And then I wanted to do something different with the food. Um, so I thought about the diaspora, and Daniel and I just researched a lot. And the reason the diaspora came about is because I didn't want to do just regular soul food. I've, I, my way of thinking, even in the streets, was how do I separate my product from everyone else's? <clears throat> so when I was hustling in the streets, I had a house. But you have a lot of people on the block that carry the same product. And it's like, how do I get the customer to walk past the convenient guy and come to me. Right. That was just my way of thinking. Um, so I applied that to creating the menu at Alta and the food. And so I wanted to deframe soul food and reframe it. Um, and when researching our enslaved ancestors, it's like, okay, 
when they got to to the South, all they did was kept the same techniques and ideas, but they had new ingredients, right? There were new ingredients that were brought to America. They didn't have the same ingredients they had back at home. And they took these new ingredients and they created food out of it. They created beautiful dishes, lovely dishes. And so I wanted to maintain that creativity, right? And so when I imagine soul food, I imagine it in a way where <clears throat> our enslaved ancestors are around a fire, you know, did a head count, everyone's present. It's, you know, that lovely moment where they're singing, it's just great music. And the drums. <clears throat> and the drums. And they're creating dishes from the remnants, things that were supposed to go to the trash. They take that and they're creating these dishes out of love with the intent to nourish, sustain, and feed the soul of one another and carry them on this journey that they didn't know how long was going to last, right? That's the essence of soul food for me. It's not about a culture, a race, a region, Louisiana, South, whatever, right? That's soul food. So as long as I was bringing that to the food, I can do what I want with it, right? Mm -hmm. And so after mapping that out, I just wanted to showcase the beautiful bounty that California has to offer. You know, and, and doing so, it actually takes us back to how we actually ate in Africa. You ate what you caught, you ate what you grew, and you ate what was in season. And so that's what we did when we created the menu at Alta. It was about farming the table, like for real, farm the table, and for real, dock to table, you know, to where I can have a conversation with you about the captain of the boat of where this fish comes from type situation. And that was the inspiration behind creating the menu and the vibe behind Alta. Well, so that was a lot of fancy food talk. I appreciate it. But just so everybody knows, they have fried chicken. They got oxtails. <laughs> they got mac and cheese. They got yams. They got, do you have catfish? But that's it. That's it. Catfish is a Louisiana thing, so it would have to come frozen. Oh. So that's not. Um, now you just table. told on everybody who serves catfish. <laughs> hey, man, you ain't going to get catfish in the Pacific Ocean or the Colorado River. Ha. Huh. You know, so. So, uh, great restaurant. Uh, uh, last detail about the book, because this is called MHD off the record, so music's real important to me. Every chapter's named after a hip hop song. <laughs> Uh, how'd that come about? Whose idea was that? Uh, and and talk to us about the relationship between music, especially hip-hop, and, and uh, the food journey. So for one, hip-hop raises us. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a way for us to communicate with each other. You know, it definitely alerted me early on that I wasn't the only one, or my ah. community wasn't the only one dealing with these things. You know, through music, you hear what's going on in Memphis, you hear what's going on in Atlanta, you hear what's going on in New York and you know you have brothers and sisters over there that's dealing with the same stuff. So it gave me awareness, right, to a, a bigger problem. Um, but yeah, I love music. You know, I don't get to enjoy it as much now, but um, I thought that, again, doing something different, like I've never seen a book that has like a playlist to it right 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 right. so I, I just wanted to do something different it's always again how do you separate your product from everyone else's there's a uh there's a really good book about cooking i wonder have you read it it's by amira thompson no uh quest love 
No, I haven't read it. He he has a he has a it's called a it's called a um, hip hop mixtape. Yeah, I have the book. Oh, you have it. You yes. have it. Look at because it's he uses the same format. Yeah. Uh, so it, I thought it was interesting when I read your book. Favorite and, MC. And that will be that that coming from Questlove. Like yeah. Yeah. You can see that right. Yeah. Right. No. Totally. Totally. Uh, your your favorite MC. <laughs> uh, Nipsey. Okay, that's a good answer. Right answer. Yeah. That's very. I mean, no, it's not. It's not. It's not a cliche or nothing like that. Like, it's for one. I I, I know him personally. Mm-hmm. Had a relationship with him. Um, so when I hear his music, it's kind of yeah. like if someone who knows me read my book, they know the authenticity of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? A lot of these artists nowadays, I just don't know if they're telling someone else's story. Right, mm-hmm. I know he was telling our story, not just his story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was telling our story about South LA. Mm-hmm. You know, it what it didn't have to be his experience. He experienced it through others, and like that's what the book is. Like I'm telling our story. Yeah, it's through my POV, my point of view. But I'm not the only one who went through this, and I'm definitely not the only one who can be successful if given the opportunity. And, like, I hate that needle in the haystack or this yeah. unicorn. Yeah, like, the path I took is mine. It's mine own. Like, there may not be another one that come out, like, in my field to do what I did, but there is opportunity for other people to be successful, like, if just given a chance. Right, right, right. And, and finding a chance. All right, so I'm getting the hook from the Sandman. Uh, so we got to get off the stage here. But before we end our show, we're trying to build a... A compendium of people, places, things, experiences in South LA. So we do something called lightning round. First answer that comes to your mind, you just got to say it and let the chips fall where they may. It's only three questions, so it'll be real easy. You ready? I hope so. (laughs) Your favorite song that represents Watts or South LA? Favorite song that represents Watts or South LA? Um, Blue Laces. Nice. Blue Laces 2 or 1? 2. Two. Both. Both? Yes. All right. It's a continuance, right? It's, it's, you treat it as one song. I'll yes. take it. Uh, that'll qualify. Other than your own restaurant, your favorite place? Chef Martin at, at Post and Beams. Okay. I love, <laughs> I, I, love what, I love what Chef Martin is doing. Like um, He was also a guest. He was also a guest. Telling a story yeah. the food, giving us history, yes. and reminding really us history. that. This black celebrity chef thing is not new. Right. Actually, right, right. the first. Well, we created celeb- the celebrity chef. That's all I'm saying. Yes. So, Chef Martin that posted. All right. And then your favorite book about South LA besides California Soul? I I, I haven't read. I haven't had the chance to sit down and read a book since I was in prison. Really? Right? Huh? Yes. So, it's been really build, build, build to get some stability. Um, I read a lot of books in prison, and I think that was one of the reasons. Of writing one of the inspirations between writing a book too, because of all of the urban tale books, mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. about South LA and about our culture, and they always ended with the out, but they never expressed, they never told us what it was like when you got out. You know, it was just like out was enough. So I haven't really read any, had opportunity to read any books about South LA, like coming from. You know, our point of view. Yeah, history books and things like that. 
So as of right now, I couldn't answer that. All right. Uh, we're going to come back to you on that one. Well, thank you, everybody. Get uh, California Soul, an American Epic of Cooking and Survival by Keith Corbin. It's available everywhere books are sold. Even Alta. Even at Alta. Yeah, you can get an Alta in the wine shop. And that's a whole different episode, <laughs> the, the wine shop episode. Also an amazing story. And get by Alta. Uh, it's absolutely the, hottest, absolutely the hottest restaurant in Southern California, yeah. but the best experience. You go for the food, uh, you stay for the vibes and the people and the energy that's there. And yeah. so I want to thank you for creating that space for all of us uh, in this community and and uh, commit to helping you build and grow uh, even more so that more people can get to get to uh, get to that kind of experience. So yeah. we want to see it in Watts and in Westchester and in the Valley and in Pasadena and everywhere else. Yeah, we can get get your brand. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to MHD Off the Record. And special thank you to Felicia, the poetess Morris of Morris Media Studios in Lamert Park. For more information, please visit MHDCD8.com and follow at MHDCD8 on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Don't forget to rate us five stars, subscribe, and share with a friend.